episode number 46. And if a person is not doing this, he always feels like he's off. Something's wrong with his life. He doesn't feel good about his life. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. Lessons from Authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff with this week's Higher Life Podcast. This week's Torah portion is Truma, How to Connect, Finding Your Inner Calling. We can have a powerful parable about the shattered crown, a great story about Rav Shach, and peace in your home, why get married. And now, the Torah portion of the week, with novel ideas from the classic commentaries. So this week's Parsha Truma is all about the Mishkan, the sanctuary where God dwelled in this world. The verse says, they shall make me a sanctuary, so that I might dwell among them. Now this concept is very difficult. How could it be God, who's infinite, have his presence in the Mishkan, which is finite in this world? God is greater than all the stars and all the heavens, all the galaxies. And here we have his presence dwelling inside a small Mishkan. How is that possible? That's one question. And Rev Miller from Gateshead has another question. We have Chazal that tells us that if a person fulfills one mitzvah, it's as if he fulfilled the entire Torah. In one place it says if a person fulfills the mitzvah of tzitzitz, it's like he fulfilled the entire Torah. Shabbos is equal to the entire Torah. So it's a similar concept. How can you have one thing equal everything? It's either limited or expansive. The same thing with God's presence. It's either limited or it's unlimited. So if Miller brings a Sforna who explains that really the Mishkan was Bidyevid, which means after the fact. The Ramban holds that the idea of a Mishkan, God dwelling in this small place on the earth, was Lichachila, which means in the first position, that it was planned that way. And the Sforno says it's Bidyevid. It's only after the sin of the golden calf. After the sin of the golden calf, so God decided that we need a Mishkan. We need a house where God dwells. The Sforno says, so that I shall dwell in your midst to speak with you and receive the prayers of the servants of Yisrael. Not as it was before the golden calf. Why? Because over there, there's a different verse. Let's take a look. The verse in Shmos 20.20 is like this. You shall not make images of me, gods of silver and gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves. Here's the point. An altar of earth you shall make for me. And you shall slaughter near it your Ola offerings and your peace offerings, your flock and your cattle. In every place where I will mention my name, I shall come to you and bless you. There the Sforno says, it's not necessary to make temples of silver and gold and precious stones in order to bring me close to you. It is sufficient in altar of earth. So before the sin of the golden calf, the Jewish people could pray in any place. They could come close to God anywhere. It didn't matter where. And the altar itself was made out of earth. Nothing fancy, no form, which means the relationship to God was much closer, a much more personal relationship. But after the sin of the golden calf, which means that they put a medium between them and God, they didn't want a direct relationship. So then everything became formalized at that point. By the Mishkan, it says they should take from them gold and silver and copper and turquoise wool and linen and goat's hair, ramskin, all kinds of formal things to create covet and honor, but it had a shape and a form. 
It required the expressions of human honor. It was defined in our terms, compared to God's terms. But this was a lower-level relationship. The formal relationship, I spoke about it in last week's Parsha. When you're with your family and the ones you love, you have a less formal setting. When you deal with outsiders, it's more formal. So God made us like, they're like outsiders. He said, you want to put something between me and you? Fine, we'll formalize it this way. Baruch Hashem, the relationship was not broken. And God's presence did come in and dwell there. But the form was different. So you see, we moved from a closer, all-encompassing relationship to a little bit more distance than a formal relationship. And you can see this in other places in the history of the Jewish people. For example, the Madragas Adam brings down that when prophecy stopped, there was a point where there was prophets everywhere. People would have direct relationship and an experiential connection to God. When that stopped, so at that point, what opened up? Babylon. In Babylon, you had Sura, Papapadisa. These were the two, two great yeshivas. So it's not that the relationship between the Jewish people and God was broken. It just moved down to a lower level. Instead of direct prophecy, you had the form of yeshivas. So Hashem draws the line based on our relationship to Him. The closer we are, the less formal, the more open, the more connection we have to God. The further we want to be, the further we are. So we're removed a little bit. And you also have today, for example, in the Orthodox world, you have the centers of the yeshivas where all the Orthodox people center around. They live in Brooklyn, they live in Lakewood, in Yushalayim. All the religious people center around the place of religious life. And that's because it's a demarcation point where, God forbid, our children will go off the wrong way. So we have to disconnect ourselves. But really, in theory, if a person is strong, if he has a strong relationship with God, he could be anywhere. It doesn't matter where he is. It's only because of the weakness that we have to separate ourselves, that we're worried about our children. Obviously, also outside, there's a lot of trouble happening out there. There's a lot more impurity in the world that's being pumped at us. So we have to protect ourselves. But this is not a new story. This goes all the way back to Adam Arishon. It says that before Adam sinned, the heel of his foot was more radiant than the sun. What did that mean? Even his most physical part, even all the way down to his heels, he was purely spiritual. He had such a great love and connection with God that his whole body shone. There was no contradiction between spirituality and physicality. He was purely spiritual. Now we have a very diversified connection to God. And each individual has his own personal connection to God. Which means what? Some people, the way to serve God is through their intellect. Other people through their emotions. Other people physically. There's different senses which have now taken over. So what does this mean? Each one of these stages is what's called galus. Going into exile. Where before a person was 100% connected, or the Jewish people were 100% connected, then they go into galus, they go into exile, which means the connection weans down. They're only connected in certain aspects. And you even see this in the religious world, where some groups focus on emotionalism, some groups are purely intellectual, some groups want to work out Yisrael as part of their avodah Hashem of serving God. And each one is specialized. But the goal is to grow to a point where you take your specialization and you expand it into your entire being. That's called shlemus. That's called reaching completeness. So Rav Simcha Zisa also has this problem. 
He wants to explain the Ebn Ezra, who says that God being in one particular place is a very difficult concept because God is infinite. Back to our original question. The Pasik says, the whole world is filled with glory. So how can we answer this up? He wants to explain with, with an example from the sense of smell. Even though you smell something with your nose, but the smell penetrates your entire being. You could smell something and become totally relaxed. Which now comes out that the place that we feel connected to God is the place that's going to lead to our shlemus, our completion. It can spread to the rest of our being. So even though we have a sensitivity in one area, whether it's emotional, intellectual, physical, Eretz Yisrael, for example, is more connected. So even though there's a limitation or a specialization or a sensitivity in one particular area, it's connected to the whole. And even though we are attracted and we only see the light in certain aspects of our worship to God or our outlook on life, that light really radiates to the entire being, to all of life, to our entire relationship with God. The problem is that since we're in a fallen state, we only see that light, we're only sensitive to this particular area. But if we would go further into it, we would see it's connected to the whole. And that answers how one mitzvah could be like you did the entire Torah. The Gemara in Shabbos says, Rav Nachman said, I'm assured of a place in the world to come because I fulfilled the mitzvah of having three meals on Shabbos. And Rav Yehuda said, I am assured of a place in the world to come because of my devotion and prayer. So it's a little bit strange. How can it be because of one mitzvah they're so sure of their chalik, of their portion in the next world? So the Ma'ara wants to explain that this mitzvah they did to perfection. They chose a mitzvah, they did it to perfection. So they know they're connected. So even though the scope is limited, but it's connected to the whole, which is similar to the idea in Avos, in Perky Avos, 2.9. It says like this, Come and see you. Which is the right path? So you had five of the Talmudim, each one answered something different. One said a good heart, one said a generous eye, one said a good friend, one said a good neighbor. So on that, Rabbeinu Yonah asks, how can it be the one thing? Why do we need all these things? We, we need a good heart, we need a good friend, we need a good eye, we need a good neighbor, we need all these things. How can you say one thing? So I want to read you the Rabbeinu Yonah. In all good character traits, a man needs to connect. Rather, he says, he should connect in one completely, he says, because it's better that a person has one character, Bishlamis, with completeness, and then it will be easier for him to reach the other character traits. Whereas if he's just a jack of all trades, he's not going to reach there. So the answer is that a person has to find his calling. He has to find where he's connected, where he feels good, and work on that. Through that, he can reach Shlamis. He can complete himself and become whole by working on the place that he's connected. And that's what it means that one mitzvah can equal the entire Torah because it's connected to the entire Torah. It's the gate through which a person should go. And if a person is not doing this, he always feels like he's off. Something's wrong with his life. He doesn't feel good about his life. You have to do what you're good at, what you're happy with, even in terms of what a person works at. The Chavos Lavavos brings down that a person should do what he's good at. That's the job he should do. He says, just like all the animals, they have intrinsically built into them their way to get food. It's also true by human beings. If a person is a good car mechanic and he loves it, he shouldn't become a lawyer just because he thinks he can get more money. It's not true. If we continue to be a car mechanic, 
So he can wind up opening many shops. He could also become rich that way. Hashem built into each individual what he enjoys, what he loves, and that's his way. That's the way he should go. That's how he's going to reach completeness. Which means that a person goes back to his source. He starts to find himself. He becomes real, authentic. Revobi brings down the Ramban, who explains that the redemption of, of Mitzrayim did not happen until the Mishkan was built. It wasn't when they walked out of Mitzrayim, Egypt. It wasn't when they came to Yisrael. It was only when the Mishkan was built and the presence of God came back. At that point, that's called redemption. Because redemption means connecting yourself back with the Creator. So we need to redeem ourselves in all the many aspects of our lives. Whether it be with our wives and our kids, our friends, our family, between us and God, between men and man. It has to be shlemus. It has to permeate every part of your being. The Perkyavo says, Whoever repeats something in the name of the one who originally said it brings redemption to the world. Why redemption? Because when you repeat something over in somebody's name, you're bringing it back to the source. You're reconnecting. That's what it means to be redeemed, to be close to God. So everything we do, we have to bring back to its source. But it works in both directions, actually. The idea of Shekhinah, it says the Shekhinah dwelled in the Mishkan. What's the Shekhinah? The feminine aspect of God, which means His presence in the world, the diversity. And that's why it's split into pieces. This is God's manifestation in the world, which diversifies. For example, we know when we say Slichus, at the end of the Slichus, Erev Rosh Chodesh, or different times of the year, at the end, we say Shema Yisrael one time. means the oneness of God. Then we say Bruch Shem Kavod three times, which means double plus one, one plus one, and another one, three times, spreading apart. And then we say Hashem Hu Elokim, Hashem is God, we say that seven times, which is three plus three, and another one. And it keeps spreading wider and wider. It's God's presence in the world. It's the infinite entering into the finite. And this is how we can answer how God's presence could be in the world. Because it's the point, it's the gate, it's the shah. What, what does it mean, God's presence in the world? The connection to God was in the world. At the Mishkan, at the temple, a person could reconnect with God. He could connect up with infinity. But it was the gate, the gateway. So I want to end off with Rav Noam Elimelech. He says like this. It brings a Gemara in Pesach in 58. Rav Yeshua ben Levi was ill and bedridden. When he became conscious, his father asked, Son, what did you see? Father, I saw an upside-down world. I saw the upper beings being below, and the lower ones above. He answered him, What you saw was a clear world. So Rav Noam Elimelech explains that God created this world, yesh ma'ayin, means something from nothing. Infinity, pure spirituality, is nothing. From that came the physical. He says that the tzaddik comes along and does the opposite. He takes the physical and he makes it spiritual. If he wants to nullify a harsh decree, something physically bad's going to happen, he brings it back to its source. So what does it mean? I saw the upper beings being below and the lower ones above. The Sadiq brings the upper world down while he takes the lower world up, becomes a conduit for spirituality in the world. So by finding our inner connection to God and building on it, we're connecting ourselves back with our source. And that connection will expand into other parts of our being. And on the opposite side, doing mitzvahs, we're bringing God into the world. We're taking the spirituality and bringing it into the physical world. 
which is the completeness of a ben adam, of a person. It's the female and male aspect. Receiving from God is the female aspect. To be a makabel and to be a mashbia, to influence, to do the mitzvahs into this world and to spread Torah and to spread the ideas and to help other people and do chesed and kindness. This is the male aspect. So God's presence in the world was the place, the Mishkan, the temple, was the place where we could feel, we could intellectually know, we could sense the presence of God. And even though it's true, it's in a limited way, but that could spread. And that's our job, to spread it to the world. Here's a powerful parable. So the Magid Maduba brought the same Pasuk. You shall make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell in their midst. So he said that when the Jewish people do the will of God, so the Shekhinah, the presence of God, dwells in the temple, in the Mishkan. And when not, it leaves. It brings a riot from the Gemara in Sanhedrin that says, When Titus destroyed the base of Migdash, a Baskar came out, a voice came out from heaven and said, A burnt sanctuary you have burned. In other words, the Shekhinah already left. He did not really destroy the base of Mikdash. The base of Mikdash was already destroyed because the Jewish people were not doing in the will of God. And God's presence already left. So I want to explain that with a muscle. So one time there was a king who ruled his kingdom with a firm hand. And the people, all the different townships decided to make him a very expensive crown with precious gems on it and pearls. And on each one of the stones, it would write the different names of the different cities. So they made this crown and there was an anniversary, the day that he was throned, and they brought it to him. It's a beautiful crown. But what happened over time? The different cities rebelled. Unfortunately for them, the king prevailed. So what happened after that? They invited all the heads of all the different cities to the capital. So they're all waiting in fear. What's he going to say to us? The king didn't say a word. What he did is he took the crown off of his head and he threw it on the ground and it shattered. So they said to him, why you did that? Your, your kingship is already established. The rebellion is over. He says, do you think I need this crown? He says, I love this crown. Because it made me remember the loyalty of all my subjects. But now I don't want to remember them. So he threw the crown to the ground and he destroyed it. He said, because every time I remember you, I get angry. So to the base of Migdash. When the Jews are doing the will of God, so he remembers them and he's happy and he feels good. However, when the Jews are not doing the will of God, the base of Migdash itself makes him angry. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. So when Rishak would hear a student with weak logic or an untrue approach, he would ask the person, do you really think this is the logic that God had at Sinai? For him, it was crystal clear that the Torah was taught at Sinai from God himself. He once related when he learned the Midrash on Parsha's Truma, this week's Parsha, he was so affected by it that he couldn't sleep for several nights. The Midrash goes like this. I sold you my Torah, and it's as if I sold myself along with it. It can't be compared to a king who had only daughter, and another king took her as a wife. So that king wanted to go back to his homeland. The first king said, listen, this daughter is my only child. To separate from her, I cannot. But to tell you that you can't take her, I can't either, because now you're her husband. So please, make for me a small room where I can live by you, for I cannot bear to be separated from my daughter. This is, what the, this is what Hashem said to the Jewish people. I have given you my Torah. To separate from it, I cannot. To tell you not to take it, I cannot. Just wherever you go, you should make me a sanctuary. At least I could dwell among you. So when Shach learned this, 
He said, Hashem says concerning the Torah, to separate it, I cannot. The Torah and the Holy One, blessed be He, are one. Whoever learns Torah clings to God Himself. How great is the reward and how awesome the responsibility. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. Rev. Dynamite has a question. Why should he get married? The Pasuk Ibarashi says, It's not good for a man to be alone. But the Targum explains it's not correct for him to be alone. But he has a question. Doesn't it seem that to be alone would be better in terms of serving God? Then you're totally free. You have no responsibilities. You can serve God all the time, all day, all night. Brings an example. Let's say a person wants to dive into Vesikin early in the morning when the sun first comes up. So they're about to say Shema. So you would think that's a very great thing. The only problem is when they're about to say Shema, they want to shout the Shema, but they can't. You know why? Because all the neighbors are sleeping. So even though it's true in theory that a person would think, well, if I was only alone, I'd be able to serve God better. But you see that God put us into this world. The person now has to be quiet during his davening, not to wake up his neighbors. So too with the wife. Parson's thinking, well, listen, how much bidot toira? How much time I have to spend with my family? How much money I need to make for my family? So why is this a better situation? But we see that that's lichachile, what God wants. That's the first position. God could have made man to have children without being married. Only man has a family, wife, and kids that takes care of everybody. It's man who needs to make a wife and a family. Sheeps and goats, they don't have a wife and a family. But that's what God wants from man. That's why it's correct. You say it's not good, but it's correct. It's the right thing. Why is it the right thing? Because that's how a person grows. It's the same idea we spoke about before. There's pure spirituality and there's bringing it into this world. The process of bringing spirituality into the physical world is the growth that we have to go through. It can't always be in theory. It has to be in reality. And that's when we work on our character traits, which means bringing spirituality into the physical, into our physical bodies, the expression of spirituality. That's where the work is. And that's why God wants a man to be married. He doesn't want him to be a hermit like the other religions say, to be a monk. No, Jewish men get married. Jewish people get married. Because our whole goal is the shlemis, like I spoke about before. The extension of spirituality into the physical world and into your body and into your character. The fact that we have challenges, that's our purpose of our life. We have no challenge, God forbid, we don't need to be here. The challenge is the purpose. But the problem is that some people think that there shouldn't be a challenge. He brought a story of a yeshiva guy that refused to admit that he had any problems. He would blame everything on his wife. He would quote the Rambam that says, a wife does what her husband wants. He wouldn't take any responsibility for himself. The Rav said, I'm going to go to Rav Kavanetsky and I'm going to ask him. So what did the Rav say? Tell him that a Ben Torah will never demand of his wife that she should do her husband's will. A Ben Torah will make sure that she wants to do her husband's will. You can't demand. That's to be done with character. You have to be so loving and so giving that your wife wants to do what you want. And he said, if not, he's not a Ben Torah. A Ben Torah means a person who lives and follows the Torah. The problem is people are always trying to escape. They don't want to admit that there's problems. They don't admit that they have to change. That's why some people don't want to get married. But that's the whole purpose of marriage. He always knows if one of the couple doesn't want to come to the sessions, it's probably because they're guilty. He wants to explain why getting married is the beginning of adult life. So he brings a Svorna that explains, we know that Bati, when she took Moshe Rabbeinu out of the water, called them Moshe, which means she pulled him out of the water. 
Moshe means the one who drew out. But the sworn OS, wait a second, he shouldn't be called Moshe, you should be called Moshe, Bhatti should be Moshe. Why? She drew him out. He was drawn out, true, but let's switch it around. He shouldn't have the name of Moshe. He should have the passive name. So he wants to explain, no. Moshe, if it was decreed from heaven that I would draw you out, it was only that you should draw others out. In other words, everything that you received, that's what you have to give. That's what you have to do. That's your purpose in life. That's the beginning of adult life. All your life, your parents took care of you, changed your diapers, fed you, sent you to school, gave, gave, gave to you. When you reach an adult, it's time to give. Everything you received has to be passed along, which is the same relationship with God also. You receive from God and then you give to others. You receive from God and you do mitzvahs. And that's why it's better that man should not be alone. Man is required to have somebody to give to. That's it for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share with your friends and please leave a comment on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit rabbiminterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments. 